Well, today we're beginning a new message series called Foundations of Faith. And I'm very excited about this series because I believe that what we're going to study really can revolutionize our lives. And so let's talk a bit about foundations. The dictionary defines a foundation as the lowest load-bearing part of a building, typically below ground level. And so the foundation is the part of the building that supports the, all the rest of it. Everything else is built on top of that foundation. And so the foundation really is the most important part of the building. And yet the most important part of the building, the foundation is not seen. It's, it's hidden. It's usually underground. Now, in the same way, the foundations of faith are what we build our lives upon. Now, people can't just look at us and say, well, that person's built their foundation upon, upon Christ. When they just look at you, it's hidden in a way. But if our foundation is strong, if our foundation is sturdy, if our foundation is built upon God's word and Jesus Christ, then our lives will be able to weather the storms of life. Because storms are going to come into each of our lives. But if our foundation is sure, our lives will stand. And these messages in Foundations of Faith are designed to help you make sure your foundations are solid. So I'd like us to start off by watching a short video clip called Foundations. So people build their lives on all kinds of foundations. Money is a common one. There are many others. But we want our foundation to be on a solid rock. Now what is this solid rock foundation? Let's look at what Jesus said in this story uh, that the video was about in Matthew 7, 24. Now in the middle of your bulletin is a white page. I'd encourage you to take it out. On that white page is an outline of the message as well as has the verses written out. You can take some notes there. Jesus said in verse 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. And so the crucial question we need to ask ourselves here is, how do I build my house? How do I build my life on the rock? How do I build my life on the rock? Now be careful because many people get the answer to this question wrong. How do I build my life upon the rock? Some people would say, I build my life upon the rock because I, I hear and understand Jesus' words. I understand God's word. I read my Bible. And that's why many people go to church. They go to church to hear and learn God's word. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's not building your house upon the rock. Notice that both the wise and the foolish man, they heard Jesus' words, they understood Jesus' words, but what was the difference between the wise man and the foolish man? The wise man, it says, put Jesus' words into practice. They both heard Jesus' words, they understood Jesus' words, but only the wise man put Jesus' words into practice. The foolish man did not put his words into practice. He did not obey Jesus' words, and that was the difference. And we want to be like the wise man. Now today in America, the church in America, I would say is, is not very effective. It's pretty ineffective, and it's, I believe it's filled with people who know God's word, but don't practice it. And we take great pride in 
knowing God's Word, knowing what it says, but are we putting it into practice? If we aren't practicing what we know, then our lives are built upon the sand. And so in this series, we're going to focus not just on understanding God's Word. Obviously, we have to understand God's Word. That's a prerequisite. But most importantly, we want to put it into practice. We want to actually do it in our own lives. So today, my message is entitled, First Steps. We're going to build on last Sunday's message, which was how to lead someone to Jesus. If you didn't, weren't able to be here last Sunday, I'd encourage you to watch it online. We're going to be looking at the first steps that a new believer should take in their lives. Now, I recognize that many of you here are not new believers. You've been believers maybe for quite a while. And so don't check out on me, okay? Because I've said this was for new believers. We ran a poll a little over a year ago here, and about 70% of our attenders were not putting these first steps into practice, many of which have been believers for a long time. So again, it's not enough just to know the truth. We need to put it into practice. And secondly, as a believer, not only do we want to put it into practice in our own lives, but we're not to be just concerned about ourselves. We need to know how to, as we talked about last Sunday, how to lead someone else to Jesus Christ and to disciple them according to Jesus' instructions, to help them grow, to become everything that God wants them to be, according to Jesus' instructions, to go and make disciples in the Great Commission. So let's begin today by looking at God's plan of salvation. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. And so when somebody is saved, they're not made simply a little bit different. When somebody is saved, the Bible tells us they're in an entirely new creation. The old life has gone, the new life in God has come. And so if someone claims to be a Christian and they are acting exactly the same as they were before they claimed to be a Christian, guess what? They're not. That's not what happens. When somebody becomes a believer, their life is transformed. And so as a... As a um, Believer, it says God has reconciled you to himself. We've been reconciled to God. And when is a reconciliation necessary? Reconciliation is necessary when there's been a separation, when there's been a, a rift between two parties. And so the sin that we had in our lives had us had separated from God. God cannot have a relationship with someone who is a sinner. As a sinner, we were in rebellion against God. We were enemies of God. We were God's. Uh, we were opposed to God, whether we understood it or not. And so, when a person is saved, then they are reconciled to God. Their relationship to God is restored to what God intended. And when we are saved and reconciled to God, this verse says, God gives us the ministry of reconciliation. He wants to use us to help other people be reconciled to God, to be saved. So let's look a little more closely now at God's plan of salvation so that we understand it, first of all, for ourselves, and secondly, so that we can explain it to somebody else. In order to be saved, this is basics, you need to believe in Jesus. 
John 3.16, probably the most popular verse, most well-known verse in the whole Bible for good reason. The football games, you see the signs, you know, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Who are we to believe in? Jesus. Okay, you're not saved by believing in God. Let me say that again. You're not saved by believing in God. Obviously, as believers, we do believe in God, but you're not saved by believing in God. All kinds of people think they're saved because they believe in God. You're not saved by believing in Allah. You're not saved by believing in Buddha or any other so-called deity. Even if you're sincere in your belief, you're not saved. Jesus is the only way. He's the only truth. He's the only life. You're saved by believing in Jesus Christ. And before you believed, what were you? You were an unbeliever. I mean, you, we began as an unbeliever. We believe and we become a believer. Every person on this planet begins life as an unbeliever. And the greatest sin is unbelief. Not believing in Jesus Christ, which has terrible consequences. Now, God had a plan. Because all of us have sinned. The Bible said all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every person had sinned. So God had a plan to rescue humanity. And it was to send his only son, Jesus. So that, as John 3.16 says, we would not perish. Perish is an awful thing. Perish is to be eternally separated from God, both in this life and the next. Perish is to be tormented forever in the place of God's wrath upon sinners called hell. God doesn't want anybody to perish. And so he sent Jesus Christ. He loved us so much that he sent his son to die, to take God's wrath, to take God's punishment upon himself so that we could be saved. And so what are we saved from? A lot of people have trouble articulating this. I'm saved. I saved from, people are saved from what? Well, we are saved from the consequences of our sins. We are saved from God's judgment on our sins. If you are a criminal, and you created a... You, uh, you did a crime. You were arrested. You went to court and you were sentenced. There was a punishment that you were under. And you had to serve that sentence. And we had a sentence. But Jesus came and took, paid the price that we did not have to serve that sentence. And so to believe in Christ is to admit that we've sinned, to believe in Him and commit our lives to following Him as Lord. So we believe in Jesus. And when we believe, we receive eternal life. John 3.18 says, Whoever believes in Him, speaking of Jesus, is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Why? Because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. That is Jesus Christ. And so every person as, a, as it were, a death sentence hanging over their heads. Why? Because they were a sinner. They're condemned to die, to be tormented forever in hell apart from the presence of God. Because why? They have not believed in Jesus. And when you believe in Jesus, your death sentence is commuted. You're no longer condemned because Jesus died in your place. He paid the price for our sin in our unbelief. And how do we know that God accepted Jesus' payment of our death sentence? 
because God raised Jesus from the dead. And Jesus is alive today. The resurrection is the essential part of the gospel. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, we are still dead in our trespasses and sins. And so when we believe in Jesus Christ, we receive the gift of eternal life. That gift begins the minute you believe. And it continues into eternity. Eternal life is life lived in a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And that life continues through our physical death and lasts forever in heaven with God. On the other hand, unbelief brings eternal death. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. That's what we've been talking about. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, but God's wrath remains on him. And so God's love remains on a believer. When we respond to God's love and we love him back, God loved us first, we love him back, his love rests on us. But God's wrath remains. It's already on people who are unbelievers. We were all unbelievers before we believed. God's wrath remains on those who persist in their unbelief, who reject Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And so that wrath of God for our sin was poured out on Jesus on the cross as He died there. Jesus took our punishment so that we would not experience the wrath of God. And yet those who do not believe will experience God's wrath and eternal torment in hell. Why? Because they refuse God's plan of salvation. For those of us who are believers, one of the most powerful witnesses to simply share with people the story of how we became a believer. What were the circumstances of you following God's plan of salvation? We talk about this every Sunday. A, admit that you sin. B, believe in Jesus. And C, commit yourself to following Him as your Lord. Sometimes people say, well, I didn't do that when I was saved. You know, I didn't understand that. And I would say that, just to be blunt, if your story doesn't contain those elements, then either you follow those steps at another time and you need to put them into your story, or you're not truly saved. Because these are essential things. This isn't something I made up. These are throughout the Bible. My mother, who's here with us today, led me to the Lord at the age of four. I still have the little pamphlet that a little booklet that she used it was called My Captain. It was Captain back is my Lord. You know, you, you did what your captain said. And if you go through that little book, and I still remember going through it with her, it had all of those elements. I was a sinner at the age of four. What was my great sins? I disobeyed my parents. <laughs> I don't really remember what I did now, but you know, I didn't kill anybody at the age of four, or do any other terrible things, but I knew I'd sinned. I had disobeyed. And I believed that Jesus died on the cross, that my sins would be forgiven. And I don't think I used the word Lord back then, but I wanted Jesus to be my captain. I wanted to do what he said. And so the ABCs were there. And I remember it to this day. And so... Beginning today, my plan is for, let's just say for the foreseeable future, nothing is forever, but uh, 
My plan is to include action steps in these messages, especially in this series. Steps for you to put God's Word into practice in your life. And if you notice at the, in the white page, at the end of the outline, there are some action steps. First action step is to write out your story of salvation. In fact, we went over a little bit in the class this morning, in more detail how to do that. But everybody can do that. If you're a believer here this morning, you should be able to write out your story of salvation. Try to write a short version, like three minutes or less, that you could share with somebody. In three minutes or less. You know, it's going to be rare you're going to have 30 minutes to tell your story. I'm not going to have 30 minutes in the gym, probably, to tell somebody how I was saved. But three minutes, hey, that happens. Three minutes you might have. And you should be able to tell your story of salvation in a condensed form in three minutes or less. Using the ABCs. Why, why use the ABCs? Because your story of salvation, if you're a believer, should be clear enough that another person could be saved by listening to you tell how you got saved. I mean, that's part of the point of it, isn't it? If you tell somebody, I got saved because I went out of my back porch and saw this beautiful sunset, and I believe God existed, and I felt warm and fuzzy inside. Okay, now can anybody get saved from that? It might have been a wonderful experience, but you weren't saved at that experience. That might have been a step getting you closer to God, but that wasn't the day you were saved. And so write out your story so that another person could follow it. And if you'd like to put this action step into practice, check that box. Now you're going to just keep your outline. You're not even going to turn it into me. But God wants us not just to hear the word on Sunday mornings. He wants us to put it into practice so that you can grow. And so when you get into discussion with somebody about what you believe, and you've written out your story, you should be able to share that story with them. Two, three minutes of what God has done in your life. A little bit about what your life was before Christ, how you got saved, and the benefits of being a believer. That's a real quick outline. Now God's plan of salvation was not just to provide for our eternity. It wasn't just to give us fire insurance from hell. Now, it wasn't just so we could go to heaven and live whatever way we want to here on this earth. God has a plan for your life. God created you, and he saved you because he has a plan for your life. And that plan includes or is serving him and fulfilling the potential that he created you with. So let's look at some of the elements of what happens to every believer in God's plan for your life when you become saved. First of all, you become a child of God. John 1.12, to all who received him, that's Jesus, to those who believed in his name, in Jesus' name, he gave the right to become children of God. And so when you're saved, notice here, you're saved by believing in his name and receiving him into your life. You become a child of God. You become part of God's family. God becomes your father. You become his child. And as a child, your father guides you. Your father provides for all of your needs. By becoming a child of God, you become part of God's larger family. That means you have brothers and sisters in the Lord. There are other believers who are also part of God's family. And all true children of God have a strong desire, the Bible tells us, to love and work with their brothers and sisters in the church to advance God's kingdom. 
So when you are saved, you become a child of God. When you're saved, you're also born again. Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3.3, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Now every one of us was born the first time when we experienced physical birth. There's no, there is no exception to that rule. We're born again the second time when we're saved. And the Bible says that we become a new creation. You get a complete fresh start in life. Now in life, we don't get a lot of do-overs, do we? You take the test, you fail it. Can I do a do-over, professor? Nope, sorry, that's it. We don't get a lot of do-overs, do we? But when you're saved, we get a do-over. You get a complete fresh start in life. We are forgiven for all your past mistakes, for all your past failures, for all your sins. And God has a great plan for the rest of your life, no matter how much you've messed up. That's a pretty good deal. And so, if you're born again, will your new life be more of the same? As your old life was, or will it be completely different? Will it be radically different? Because when we are born again, we're set free from sin. Jesus said in John 8, 34, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. And so when you're saved, God's plan and God's power sets you free from the power of sin, from being a slave to sin. According to God's word, unbelievers are slaves to sin. They can't help but sin. It's in their nature. It's what they do. They don't have the strength to resist sin. But as a believer, we are set free from sin. We don't have to sin anymore. The only reason we sin from time to time is we don't walk in the freedom that we have in Christ. But our, the direction of our life should be to sin less and less. Our lives should not be lived in sinful lifestyles. It should be lived in the grace of God. And when we do sin as Christians, God's forgiveness is there to forgive us when we rebel from time to time and put us back on the path with Him. God's Word makes clear that those who continue to live in sinful lifestyles will not inherit the kingdom of God, will not uh, spend eternity in heaven. They're not true disciples of Jesus Christ, because those who are truly saved, who are born again, are new creations, and live out the life and the plan that God has for their lives. And so as a believer, we must grow in our relationship with God. Jesus told us in John 14, 26, but the counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I've said to you. So being saved is not the destination. You know, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, you know, what else is there? That's it. No, it's the beginning of a new life in Christ. As a believer, we need to seek to grow in our relationship with God, the creator of us, the creator of the entire universe. And in this verse, Jesus tells us about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was sent from the Father to teach us all things. The Holy Spirit was sent to remind us of God's word when we need guidance. And as believers, we need to be Growing in our relationship with God, day in and day out. Now, how do we do that? Well, to make it simple, we grow in our relationship with God as new believers by hearing God speak to us and then obeying what He tells us to do. 
And when we were children, we had fathers. And what did our fathers do? They instructed us, did they not? And what were we supposed to do? We were supposed to learn and obey. And if we learned and obeyed what our earthly fathers taught us, things went well with us. If we, if we listened and didn't obey, not so much. We maybe hurt a little bit. We got a little bit of punishment. But it's the same way with our Heavenly Father. We grow in a relationship with God by hearing from Him and obeying what He tells us to do. It's pretty simple, isn't it? So practically, how do we do that? How do we grow in our relationship with God and His plan for our lives? That's when we get to action, plan, uh, action step number two on your outline for the week. And that action step is to spend daily time with God reading the Bible. The Bible is God's Word. It's how He speaks to us, one of the ways, one of the most important ways, and pray. And I recommend, if you're not doing it now, to spend at least 15 minutes a day. Now, here's what our poll said a little over a year ago. It said, we took a poll of everybody here. 70% of our attenders were not having a daily quiet time reading their Bible and praying. So why is it hard? Why is it hard to do? Is 15 minutes a lot of time? Does anybody here think they waste 15 minutes a day? Okay, so if you just took the time you waste, and I, I wager it's, uh, I don't wager, I, I no, I, uh, I suppose, I suppose we waste even more than 50 minutes. But why is it hard? Well, I think we don't really see the importance. We don't see the benefit. And there's enormous benefit in spending time with the creator of the universe who has your plan for today and tomorrow laid out. And your success in life is dependent on what? Following God's plan. Now, I think it's pretty important to listen to what God has to say about your plan for the day and tomorrow and follow it. But we sometimes don't see the importance. Secondly, Satan opposes it. Why do you think he opposes us spending time with God every day? Because it's so important. And so he distracts us and he has this little thing and this thing can pop up here and there and we decide to whatever and we don't make it a priority in our lives. And I suspect just about everybody here has heard from me or somebody else it's important to spend this daily quiet time with God. And so we know the right thing to do. What's the rub? We need to put it into practice. We need to develop a godly habit. There are bad habits and there are godly habits. Spending quiet time with God each and every day is a good habit. Put it into practice. You do that by making a decision of your will, scheduling a time to do it. If it's not the same time every day, you're going to have trouble with it. I encourage you to do it in the morning. Before the whole day starts, if you put it in the evening, some people can do that. But in the evening, what happens? The day gets full. And what happens late at night? You get tired. Oh, I can't read. I can't keep my eyes open. And you miss it. So I encourage you to do it in the morning. It's also a way to put God first in your life, is it not? If you do it first thing in the morning. What do you do in the quiet time? Well, you read your Bible. I had people tell me, Pastor Dan, I can't read my Bible. I don't understand it. 
What do I say? Just read it. There's parts you can't understand. There's parts I don't understand. Skip over those parts. I don't like reading the genealogies. Skip, skip over them, okay? There are many parts we can't understand. Just read it and God will speak to you. We have Bible reading guides over there on the table that will help you keep track of what you read. It's not a good practice just to flip it open and see you know, where it falls. It's good practice to read through at least books of the Bible. If you're new to reading through the Bible, I encourage you to start in the New Testament and read that first before you go to the Old. And as you read the Bible, ask God to speak to you. Now, I'm not getting all spooky. I mean, I don't hear voices, literal voices, but you'll sense God saying something to you in your heart. You'll get a thought. You'll get something. You know it's not from you. It's God speaking to you. And you pray and you ask God how to apply what you've read to your life. It's not enough to say, oh, that's good. It's like, what am I going to do different? What do you want me to do different today? And when God tells you, you simply just do it. You say, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to put it on my to-do list. I'm going to do something different today. Sometimes God speaks to us. Hopefully God speaks to us every Sunday morning uh, through God's word, through what I bring to you. And you should be doing something different this week because you were here this morning. You should be thinking, believing something different, putting something new into practice. So we read the Bible, we hear from God, and then we spend time praying. Praying about our needs, praying about the needs of others, praying about how to implement the things that God is telling us to do. Now to help you uh, somewhat, in your bulletins is a little a book, booklet called Seek God for the City. You might want to pull that out right now. And I believe this, uh, this booklet will help you, uh, help you in your daily quiet time. It's basically laid out 40 days beginning on February 10th, which is this Wednesday, I believe. It starts on this Wednesday and ends on Easter. And each and every day, in those 40 days, uh, it has some scripture and some ideas for praying for different things for particularly... Uh, the city of St. Louis, the people around you, uh, prayers that will take you outside of just praying for yourself. It's not wrong to pray for yourself, but God wants to expand your prayer life. It's not just about me, myself, and my family. Uh, there's other people out there that God wants to touch through your prayers. And if you follow this guide each and every day, if that's all you do, you're going to develop in 40 days this habit of daily meeting with God, reading some of God's Word, and pray. Now, this is kind of laid out. It has a few verses in here, and it's okay to do this. Ultimately, you'll want to be reading through books when you do it on your own, uh, but this is a good way to start. And so, that's action step number two. So these are some of the first steps in discovering and living out God's plan for your life. We talked about God's... Oh, I didn't click my clickers. Okay, action plan number one. We're going to get that to that in a minute. So today we talked about God's plan of salvation to help us better understand how we are saved and how to explain it to somebody else. It's so very important. It really we talked about it last week and this week. It's very, very important that you're able to share your story of how you got saved so that somebody else can get saved. 
And many Christians are not able to do that. And we need to learn how to do it. So your first action item this week is to write out the story of how you were saved. If you have trouble with it, you can contact me. You can ask somebody in your life group. I'll ask somebody else, and we, we will help you do that. And be ready then to share it with a friend. Practice saying it so that you can tell somebody else. And then we talked about God's plan for our life today. You're not saved to merely go to heaven. You're saved because God has a plan and purpose and mission for you right here on this earth. In order to carry out that mission, you need to grow in your relationship with God. And the first step in growing in that relationship, and only about 30%, at least a year ago, we're doing it here, is to develop a habit of daily quiet time with God, reading your Bible and praying. So action item number two is to have a daily quiet time of reading and prayer. Just do it for this week. Okay, I'm going to ask the question. It's always hard to ask questions, but I'm going to ask the question. How many people here are going to make a commitment to reading their Bible and praying every day, just this week? Okay, just one week. Can you do it? Okay, that's pretty good. Okay, if you can't, raise your hand. Ask God to help you. That's not too much to ask. And God will help you. Write down what you learn and how you're going to apply it to your life. And as you do, you're going to be blessed. And you're going to avoid many, many problems in your life. So this morning, if you're not sure that you're a believer, here's how to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Admit that you sinned, believe in Jesus, and commit your life to following Him as your Lord. So let's bow our heads right now. If you've never made a commitment like this before, you've never understood it, I encourage you to pray with me. Uh, perhaps you made a commitment in the past, but you've You've fallen away. You haven't been following Jesus as your leader. I'd encourage you to recommit your life this morning. Pray a prayer something like this. Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've been following my plan for my life, not yours. Please forgive me. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, that my sins might be forgiven. I believe he rose from the dead, and I commit my life to following him as my Lord and Savior. Thank you for coming into my life. And for those of us who are believers, let's pray as well that God would help us. Father, today we thank you for your wonderful plan of salvation that rescued us from eternal death and brought us into eternal life. Forgive us, God, for keeping this good news, the most wonderful news in the world, to ourselves. Give us the courage and boldness to share it with those around us. Thank you, God for the wonderful gift of your word, the Bible, your instruction manual to us. Forgive us for not reading it each and every day. Forgive us for not applying it to our lives. We want to build our lives on the firm foundation of your truth and your word. Help us, God, to make a daily quiet time a top priority in our lives. And show us how to obey what you tell us to do. God, we thank you for the wonderful adventure of living life for you, of living out our plan for our lives. May you use each of us in our church to extend your kingdom in St. Louis and around the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.